You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's Wednesday, so it's time for Wayne on Wednesday. Wayne McCurry is a portfolio manager at FNB Wealth and Investment in Johannesburg. Wayne, I have to go back to yesterday, first of all. Actually, you know what? Before that, I have to put my cards on the table. I've noticed you've had a bit of a spat with Helen Ziller about prescribed assets, I think it is, oh, via Twitter. I spat with anyone. Well, she's having a spat with you. Could you clear up your view on prescribed oh. assets, please? Well, I think it'll be a terrible thing, but I think it's better than going to the IMF. Okay. It's as simple as that. Okay. That look, case- I must admit, I never, I never look at the replies on my Twitter account mm-hmm. because people are very nasty and vindictive, and it's not good for my spirit and soul. So I just don't <laughs> look at my replies. Very good. At all. If everyone employed that policy, then the world would be a better place because, you, as you quite rightly say, there is vindictiveness, there's nastiness, and people are anonymous. And it's, it's like talking behind someone's back rather than doing it to their face. Okay, let's go back to yesterday yeah. and the retail route that we had. Now, again, I have to put my cards on the table and say you've been bullish of South African stocks, but perhaps you've just been a little bit early. Well, look, that's, that's what you always say when you're wrong, is that you're early. Look, these things are showing on longer-term Clear value. There's no doubt about that whatsoever. There's no doubt about it. However, as we have found out, any bit of bad news, no matter what the valuation is in this economic and market environment, the shares just get slaughtered. And that's exactly what we saw yesterday. So yesterday was a culmination of uh, ShopRite's results, and I'll come back to them, and a broker downgrade on pick and pay. Now they took it from a hole to a cell, I think. And this all together, you just saw carnage there. But these shares are trading at valuations we last saw during, during the global financial crisis. So longer term, they have to be good value. Just that I thought so four months ago, five months ago, and clearly they've dropped quite materially since then. So, you know, obviously I got my call wrong on that in that I still stick with the call, but without doubt early on it. You're a long-term investor, so if you get the first year wrong or year and a half wrong or even two years wrong, the fact is that over 10 years, you're probably going to be right. So you're never going to get the timing correct. Yeah, if you still got a job or you still got a fund, you you probably will be right. I mean, there's an old saying in investments. Yes. If you stick to a view long enough, you're eventually right. But look, I mean, mean, make, make, make no mistake. If something shows value, and you know, maybe I should learn from my own numerous, numerous mistakes in investments. And investments is a funny field in that, you know, in life, all of your all of your tough times after as time goes by, you forget them and you remember the good times. It somehow seems in investments that's exactly the opposite. You only remember your wrong calls. But just to come back to this timing thing. If you think something's value and you buy it and the share falls another 20%, clearly you're wrong to have bought it 20% higher. I mean, you might still be wrong in the longer term, but, but you know, it, it is quite definitive that you have made an incorrect investment decision. Okay. We had a CPI figure out today because this is linked to what we've just been talking about. In other words, the demise of the retail sector on the JSE yesterday in quite dramatic fashion. Uh, the CPI came out today at 4%, down from 4.5% the previous month. This is a really, really big move. And you can say as much as you yes. like about it being the the oil price or the petrol price, but it's also indicative of weak demand in the domestic Perfect. economy. That's probably the biggest single reason why inflation is so low. Look, the Reserve Bank has also done a very good job in controlling inflation and 
all of those good things. But essentially, low inflation at this point in time equals low demand. Uh, retailers simply just cannot push through the prices that they want to because there's no demand and people just haven't got the ability to absorb higher prices. So therefore, you're sitting where you are now with low inflation. But look, make no mistake, low inflation is ultimately the one little bit of good news in this otherwise very depressing uh, uh, circumstances we find it in, we find ourselves in. Because at least you know with lower inflation you probably, not probably, I think we are definitively going to get another interest rate cut. And another quarter percent in itself doesn't do much, but it adds up to half a percent, and it might actually just change a little bit of sentiment as well in the whole environment. It also doesn't help that the volatility that we're seeing, the inverted yield curve is one thing, the bond market is very much another thing, the US Federal Reserve, their minutes are coming up this evening. I spoke to a technical analyst and actually someone who doesn't just look at graphs, but he looks at data. He looks at data from the amount of demand there is from the Central Bank of the United States of America to the commercial banks. And he's a very clever fellow. He looks at the graphs as well. He says he's never seen such patterns in graphs in all his time, and that's been 30 years. It's almost untradeable, he says. It's almost unanalyzable. And I, I think in the short term, it's something to do with our friend Donald Trump with his tweets. Yes, I mean, Donald Trump is, well, let's take a step back and just step away from Donald Trump for a moment. Mm-hmm. The current circumstances that we've had in markets for the last 10 years are highly unusual. In other words, there's effectively zero interest rates and the massive quantitative easing that we had to save the world after the global financial crisis. So, yes, the circumstances are highly unusual. So, in other words, we are in uncharted territory. No one really knows what the outcome is going to be from these incredibly low interest rates and the negative bond yields and the inverted yield curve. And we can come back to that if you want to. Yes, I will. So, in other words, People are worried that the economic growth we've seen over the last 10 years is only because of the low interest rates and the the, uh, quantitative easing. And now that we've been pulled off that medicine, what now? Is it deflation? Is it the Japanese experience of 10, 20, 30 years of deflation, effectively no real growth, etc.? Or is it something different? So that's the real dilemma that the market actually sits in at the moment. It's actually, we don't know the outcome of it. We don't actually know what is it, what does, forget the inverted yield curve right now, but what does negative bond rates actually mean longer term? It's clearly not good news, but how bad is the news? And then, of course, to come back to Donald Trump, just throw in Mm -hmm. the trade wars on top of this dilemma and you get this uncertainty and volatility. So the trade wars themselves are are not, let's call it the cause for all of this, but they clearly exacerbate the problem materially. In other words, he's adding to the issues, the problems, and the volatility with these trade wars. But, you know, I still think at the end of the day, he's a politician, and there's growing noises in America now about how the trade war is actually affecting the underlying economy because, as you well know, the official line of the Trump administration so far is China's paying for it. America's not paying. But there's growing evidence and domestic, and of course that's rubbish. 
China it's, is paying for a part of it because they're cutting prices to try and stay competitive, but America is clearly paying paying as well. And there's no evidence. I mean, he even said it's affecting Apple. Uh, there's been quite a few confidence indicators which cite these trade wars as one of the reasons why confidence uh, low, why, why confidence may be falling. And lots and lots of companies are now say, coming back and saying, we're going to have to increase prices because of these tariffs increasing our cost. So, you know, I still think he will back down. But, you know, he is a, a erratic person <laughs> in that he declared a trade war peace, you know, a truce, at the G20, and then literally a couple of months later, he just zaps another 10% on another 300 billion imports, literally, you know, without, his, his own trade representatives advised him against doing this. So it seems to be he gets an idea in his head and he just implements it straight away. And it's also very interesting. I read an extremely good article yes. about the so-called executive powers, whatever you call it, executive authorization where the president has powers to do certain things with circumventing Congress in total. Now, apparently this took off massively under President Obama, and President Trump has repealed a lot of that. So these aren't permanent laws, these executive orders. So if another president comes in, you can actually take them away within days, because it's not actual legislation that's been passed through the legislatory process. Mm. So, yeah, it's, you know, but as we've spoken about many times, it's quite erratic. And it's becoming more erratic, that's the thing. And you called him mm. a politician. You said at the end of the day, Trump is a politician. He's a politician in name only, in office only. Well, when, and, I, say, when I say a politician, his only interest really is to be re-elected. That's right. That's his overriding goal, is to be re-elected. So maybe it's a bit harsh on other politicians, because I think other politicians do at some stage, to some degree, big or small, have the interest of the people at heart. I don't think Trump has got an interest. He's just interested in getting re-elected. Exactly. And I don't know why, because he'll get on much better with his failing casinos and hotels and real estate still. But just before we leave Trump, I have to say this. He appointed Jerome Powell as the head of the US Federal Reserve. Yes. And now he trashes him almost every single day. And yes, that's he trashes him because he... Go on. Yeah. Why, why do you think he trashes him? Simply because if there is any bad news as far as the economy is concerned, he's got to have someone to blame. Mm. It, it, of course, cannot be his fault. True. I also think and that his so-called empire, whatever, however big that empire is, is reliant on debt and he needs the cost of money to come down. It's, so it's he possible. Wants it to, I, just, I, I, think simply, so. I simply don't know. No, no, I think this is more a political thing that, if the economy wobbled, you say, it's not me, it's the Federal Reserve. They didn't cut interest rates fast enough. Mm. And he's also blaming, what does he term it, the lamestream media, the mm. false news media. He's also blaming them for the recession. They say they're fueling talk in the economy about a recession simply because it's their way of getting back at him. So, yeah. And this is the final as, thing. As with, as, <laughs> once again, as with any politician, yes. it, of course, cannot be your fault something's going wrong. No, it's a blame game. Just before we get off to Trump, I have to get on my soapbox here about Trump because yesterday, or in the last 24 hours, something that had been set up probably three, four months ago, I mean, when I say set up, a meeting between the United States president and the prime minister of Denmark is not something you just phone them and say, okay, I'm coming over tomorrow. It's something that is, is planned security-wise, yes. logistics-wise, for no, months and months and months. And he just... And he just 
cancelled it because she, yeah. the Prime Minister of Denmark, Denmark, would would not even entertain the idea of discussions about selling Greenland. This is a lunatic. Well, I, I, I won't say that. But all I'm saying is discussions sort of almost via Twitter, almost, about they want to buy Greenland now. <laughs> I mean, just, <laughs> yeah, yes. And I won't say any more. Okay, let's move on to the JC Securities Exchange. Apart from the retail route that we saw yesterday, what else are you seeing, uh, Wayne? A little bit of a bounce back today. Uh, we've had some a certain amount of disenchantment with re- resources prices. I'm looking at Kumba Iron Ore, Exaro, South 32 and Billiton, all in the negative column today yes. to quite a significant extent. Is this just a pullback or is this the end of a trend? Well, look, effectively the resource shares have been at an end of a trend for a while now. They've had... Life has just been fantastic for the resource share. It's been truly fantastic, simply because they didn't invest any capex, which almost went bankrupt four years ago, and demand is still there, and there was no new supply, so prices recovered quite materially. The companies themselves, because they had the near-death experience in 2014-2015, trimmed their portfolio. They closed anything that wasn't making money, so when prices recovered, they trimmed their overheads, got lean and mean, and they just generated profits and cash, massively so. Now they've got to start spending again because the resource company, every day they sell something, they're depleting their asset base. So they have to start reinvesting. So they are doing that now. Although still relatively slowly, they've got to reinvest to get new uh, new, new um, mines and well, just to develop new supply resources to come in at a later stage. So by and large, after having three or four really, really terrible years, They've now had two or three just absolutely fantastic years. So that trend is over. But the reason why you're seeing the falls now, specifically iron ore, it's come off that 120 price range quite a bit. And all those companies have got iron ore as a major part of their asset base. But, of course, all the talk, inverted yield curve, recession coming, the world's growth rate is slowing down. It's quite clear. It's been almost had another shot to the heart by Donald Trump and trade wars. So you would expect resource shares in this environment to not fare so well, simply for those reasons. Okay, here we are, coming towards the end of the Northern Hemisphere summer. Uh, We'll have uh, Labor Day in two or three weeks' time, and then everyone will be back at their desks. Is this the reason why there's been this volatility, because of thin volumes, do you think? Or is there a change of trend? How are you approaching it? And again, it's the glass half full or glass half empty uh, story with with South Africa. Yes, I mean, South Africa... How do you approach it? To be honest... Some days you just want to give up. Yes. You literally want to just give up sometimes. But, ah, you know, it's so difficult to attribute what's going wrong. We all know where South Africa is. But we're better off than where we were a year ago, two years ago, even though it might only seem marginally. So we are clearly better off. And hopefully we are tentatively going down the right path. Although some days, as I said, you literally just want to give up and throw your hands in the air and just say it's an un- unsalvageable situation. But we've seen that before. We saw that in the late 1990s. We saw that in 2008 with the global financial crisis. We saw that in 1993. On all these occasions, you just felt like 
giving up. There's no hope. You know, woe is me and nothing's going to ever recover. You know, hopefully the trade wars are settled. You know, if tomorrow, let's just say, tomorrow Donald Trump signs a trade deal with China <laughs> and these tariffs are wiped out and they've got a new trade deal and it's off to the races again, eh? I mean, our market will recover quickly, our brand will recover quickly, and hopefully our economy will go on a better growth path. So, I mean, that could literally change overnight. I don't know if it will. I mean, who on earth knows what the long-term plan is with uh, President Trump? You know, I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure there is a long-term plan, but if that had to change tomorrow, and let's just say we also wave another little magic wand here somewhere, Somehow, somewhere, through some mechanism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, 200 billion rand of Eskom debt just disappears. It just, Eskom just, it just disappears out of Eskom's life. You know, it will also change sentiment dramatically. It will also change the rating agencies dramatically. I still don't think we're going to avoid junk status, by the way. Mm. I think it's coming in the first half of next year sometime. And we can discuss the implications of that later at, a, at, an, at another stage. Yes. But let's just say those two things had to magically happen tomorrow. You know, it'll do a lot to change the sentiment in the country. It'll do, it'll do a lot to make us all feel better and to actually make the real economy actually better as well and the RAND a bit stronger and the share market a bit higher. So there is always a path out of the depth of despair but unfortunately, when you live in the depth of despair, you, you, you really can't see a positive outcome or a better outcome because you are so involved with it. I mean, you eat it, sleep it, live it daily. So what Difficult. you've just said, Wayne, is that if Eskom's debt is, is immediately just wiped off, wiped off the slate, yeah. uh, and if Trump becomes a normal human being, then everything's going to be fine. These are the two biggest ifs I've ever heard in my life. Well, we'll have to see, yeah. We'll have to see. As I said, I still think Trump can settle because ultimately he'll shoot himself in the foot if these trade wars do actually result in the U.S. economy taking pain. So I still think he's going to settle. But as we've spoken about many times, you just don't know. And we'll have to see. Yes, we, we will just have to see. What are you doing at the moment? Are you buying into these dips, these domestic South African dips? Yes. Yes. Banks and we know retailers. we could still be early. We know we could still be early. We could still suffer for another year. Who knows? We might suffer for a month. We might suffer for two years. You don't know. But when you evaluate a company that you know is strong, that you know has got a good balance sheet, that you know has survived through many ups and downs, through many trials and tribulations over the years, and these things are trading at valuations, market ratings that you last saw, very, you know, that, that are very close to the ones you saw in the global financial crisis, which no matter how tough you think it is today, that actually was 10 times worse. I mean, that truly was a catastrophe. We're yeah. just sitting in bad times here. There's no catastrophe yet. We're just in bad times. And yet at the same sort of valuation ref level, roughly speaking, it's just fundamentally got to be decent value to buy it. You're an optimist. I was talking to your colleague. Yeah, I am an optimist. Uh, and sometimes you just think, why on earth are you an optimist? Are you actually stupid? But yes, you know, as I've been explaining that whole 
philosophy as well. I was talking to your colleague, your associate, your media partner, David Shapiro, yesterday. I speak to him now three times a week. And I have to say that his confidence has been chipped away at for so long now that he's not thrown in the towel, but he's much more despondent than you are. Yes. You know, there's only there's 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 truly only one good thing about investments. Is that if you take I don't know, I don't know if it's a good thing, but there's a truly only one true thing about investments is that you take a particular stance and you take a particular share and you take a particular attitude, forecast, philosophy, you eventually over time do know if you're an idiot or not. In other words, you know, if, if I'm optimistic now and we stay in these states of depression for the next five years and nothing gets better, then clearly I'm wrong. Then I'm, then I'm an idiot. So we'll have to see. You know, my only hope in all of this is we have survived. I mean, we're still here and we've gone through, as I said, that 2003 was worse than this. In 2008, the world was on the brink of a total and utter financial collapse, a collapse of the banking system, and truly a 10-year depression. That's how bad things were. The world's financial system was, was completely bankrupt. So no matter how bad you think things are now, it's not even in the same ballpark. Well, wait, wait, no, wait. And yet we still survived, Dave. Eh? If you bought banking mm. shares, if Go you on. bought banking shares, at the peak of the global financial crisis, when, when they were at the same valuation as what they are now, you've way more than doubled your money. Way more. Wayne, the percentage moves in 2007, 2008, and early 2009 were way bigger than what we're seeing at the yes. moment. But the, uh, point, clearly, yes. but the point that was made to me yesterday by a commentator in that same conversation that I was having with David Shapiro, the other commentator was Greg Davies, to whom you've spoken on a couple of occasions. Mm. He said, this time... We're doing it on our own. Everyone else is doing fine. Thank you very much. That. I don't dispute that. This time we have shot ourselves in the foot. But even though it is our own story and we are responsible for it as a country, it doesn't mean that because we did it to ourselves, we are now worse off than what we were in 2008. I mean, maybe to a certain degree, we might even be a little bit better because maybe the salvation lies with us as well and not at the whims of what the world's doing. Of course, the, the, if the globe goes into recession tomorrow, doesn't matter what we do here, we're going into recession. But as long as the world holds itself together in some respect, and we do the right things yeah, and that's also an if, of course, then at least we have the ability to pull ourselves out of what we got ourselves into. But as I said, Sometimes you wonder why you're an optimist. Wayne McCurry, the optimist, is a portfolio manager at FNB Wealth and Investment. And that was Wayne on Wednesday. That podcast was proudly brought to you in association with sharenet.co.za. Visit strictlybusinesspodcast.com and subscribe to receive exclusive content straight to your inbox.